You're listening to Denver Orbit. Episode 32. Pure Gold. Welcome to Denver Orbit. This is an audio magazine. This audio magazine features voices, stories, and music from Colorado's creative community. I'm Josh, Josh Madison. So I've got some kind of cold, which is making it hard to talk for an extended period of time and not sound like I've been smoking a pack of day for 38 years. So you won't be hearing my normal half hour opening rant today. Instead, you're going to hear a good episode. I mean, they're, they're all good, but this one is good. They're all good. And anyway, this one's good. I've got a piece from Suspect Press Editor-in-Chief Amanda E.K., a song from The Picture Tour, and a story from writer Maraid Case. But before we start, if you, you out there in listener land, want to contribute... Listener land? Really? Anyway. If you want to contribute something to this year's program, I want to hear about it. There's an email address you can use, denverorbit at gmail.com, a Facebook page, facebook.com slash denverorbit, an Instagram page, Denver underscore Orbit, and finally, a Twitter handle. That's right, Denver Orbit has officially joined that social network as well. It should be noted that I have no idea what I'm doing in any of these places, but we're out there anyway. And I know you're not going to remember all of those URLs, so I will throw some links. I'll throw those links up in the show notes. But let's just go ahead and get started. We'll start with Amanda E.K., She's working on a diary memoir telling her story about the impact that purity culture had on her in the evangelical church. It'll be published by Suspect Press in 2019. And here's a little piece from that. In Christian college, I founded a monthly event called Single Girls Sleepovers. We dress up in old prom dresses and plastic costume jewelry, listen to Disney tunes, and color in coloring books while watching a romantic comedy. We were great at having safe fun, but the real point of these sleepovers was to spend time in discussion and prayer for our future husbands. Assuming we were all to be married, and to men, we'd sit in a circle and talk about our ideal guys dissolving into giggles when describing body types. Then we'd blast a whole new world and write our imaginary grooms a letter. We believed in God's plan, and we were saving ourselves for the men God had already chosen for us. All we had to do was prepare our hearts for the union through prayer and contrition, and when we were finally ready, God would let us meet the one. We read books called When God Writes Your Love Story, The Bride Wore White, and I Kissed Dating Goodbye. I think it was one of these books, or maybe Brio Magazine, a lifestyle and entertainment mag for teen Christian girls that sparked the husband letter trend. The letters included promises to pray for this unknown boy's purity and to remain pure for him, though we were unclear where the purity line was drawn for self-gratification. We let him know our interests and how close our walk with God was. How's your walk been? We might add as a postscript. The letters were never sent, but collected and saved to present to our husbands on our wedding nights. Here's the first of those letters that I wrote. October 2nd, 2001. Dear husband, 
I am writing you from the age of 14 to express the love I have for you already. This is not a childish emotion. This is mature and God-breathed. I'm speaking from my heart through the eyes of my Savior. I may not know who you are in my adolescent years, but I know you are the one God has placed me on this earth for. I will be as patient as I need to be until God puts us together. His timing is perfect, you know. I want to get to know you very well, and I will hide nothing from you. I can already say I am saving myself completely for you. I pray that you have stayed pure for me, as for others, you'd have regretted in my place before marriage. Your abstinence will mean the world to me. Right now in my life, I am a freshman at Storm Lake High School. I do well in school, am well-liked, and have not yet been pressured by a guy. I try to be an inspiration to my group of friends, who are long lost in the way of the Lord. Being a Christian isn't easy in a public school, as you may recall. I truly accepted and started living for the Lord about a year ago at a church camp. I've grown up in a Christian family and accepted the Lord when I was very young originally, but have only been hit hard in the face by God recently. I want to be recognized for being different and really shine. On the side of all this, I'm into alternative rock music, dancing, singing in choir, playing volleyball and softball, doing things my own way a little bit different from the can't-think-for-themselves-in-crowd, creative writing, friendships, inspirational-slash-impressionistic art, and following the Lord, to name a few. In light of the tragedy that has recently occurred in the U.S., I am comfortable and assured that God knows exactly what He's doing. I do not fear death, nor the possibility of the world coming to an end. What happens will be meant to happen. I pray for your safety and knowing and truth. Have faith always. I feel I've gone off track and I've started to sound cheesy. I just want you to know I'm a normal teenager with reality on my mind. You mean heaven and earth to me. I hope we make a beautiful family together. May the Lord bless us with many children and the wisdom to raise them under his kingdom. His, with love, your wife. Amanda E.K. is the editor-in-chief at Suspect Press Magazine. She's also a writer, and you can find more of her work there. And, of course, at ubiquetes.wordpress.com. That's Y-U-B-I-K-W-E-T-E-S.wordpress.com. And, of course, keep an eye out for that book I mentioned next year. And you know where you can find links to her work? Yeah, you know where you can find those links. In the show notes, baby! All right, baby, what? I don't think we're that familiar. Anyway, let's just keep on going. A little while ago, I panicked, realizing I had no new music to throw into these episodes. So I posted a little something about that on Instagram, which led to the wonderful Bevan Luna song from last week, and also to this song you're about to hear right now. This is the song, I Found the Light by The Picture Tour.
Picture Tour is a solo outing from Emerald Siam guitarist Billy Armijo. The first EP, Vampire Girls, was inspired by the dark rock and vibe of early goth albums. Quote, I felt like there was something in those early 80s records I love that I wasn't hearing a lot of in music nowadays, Armijo says. Something a little murky that doesn't skip on catchy melodies and sleek production, end quote. The EP consists of three originals steeped in the sound of early records by The Cure, New Order, and Cocteau Twins, plus a pair of covers filtered through the picture show's muscular gothic sound. Quote, it's a total labor of love, Armijo says. Just me in the basement with a few sounds I've written and a couple of tracks I kind of wish I'd written. End quote. You can find the picture tour on Bandcamp and on Facebook, and I will have links in the show notes. Let's talk about you for a minute, though. You can support Denver Orbit somehow, in your way, the way that makes you feel happy. You could leave a glowing review of it somewhere on a website or perhaps an app that you use. You could tell thousands of people about it somehow, hire a skywriter or something. You could get a tattoo of our logo on a visible spot on your body. Any way you decide would be great. Anything at all. Really, something, anything. Finally, the writer Mairead Case stopped by Denver Orbit headquarters and read a couple of her essays. This is one about Judy Sill. Bodies are private, performative meat shells. They hold cancers and desire and pain and joy and sometimes other bodies too. I first realized I had one when I felt pleasure at three, one of my first memories, and also when my mom's shape changed before my little sister was born. I don't know anything about your body unless you tell me. Even if you don't use words, and even though I'll give you water, food, and aspirin anyway if you have a headache. If some bodies remain, others must not. I feed myself. I believe in ghosts. Another thing I know is how to hear Judy Sill's voice. Ed gave me two of her albums, and right now I listen to them on my way to work. Outside the windows, I see mountains, sky, little stands selling fruit and vegetables. Usually I am drinking lots of coffee very quickly, crumbling toast in my lap. Judy's voice needed her body to be. Her body isn't here anymore, but its sounds are, somehow, because I can press a button and fill my ears with them. In Judy's absence, in the absence of someone I never met, I feel more myself. I am trying to be as clear as possible here. I don't think any of this is obvious. I listened to Judy Sill when I lived in Indiana, too. I moved there for college, almost 15 years ago, and I loved her voice because it made me understand my body differently. When I moved to Indiana, I was weighted by my body, which I wasn't allowing to bleed. I thought it must be someone else's because it felt so wrong on me. But when I listened to Judy, I didn't want to go put on a binder and go win bruises at a show. I wanted to sit in a church and gobble light. I felt released. She sang about crayon angels and enchanted sky machines, lambs, crowns, and cosmos. Not white boys like Bikini Kill did. Judy wasn't binary at all. 
The very first time I heard her, though, was on a mixtape Rob made for a girl he liked. He sent me those tapes, too, because they were good, and it took him a long time to make them, but also in case of heartbreak. He didn't want to lose the songs. We cared for each other in this awful, tender, childish way. I write about Judy's body by writing about mine. I need my body to hear hers, my ears, the ringing they have sometimes. Some people listen to Judy and never hear ringing. Anyway, the song Rob picked was Jesus Was a Crossmaker, which is kind of a terrible song to put on a tape for your crush. Sweet silver angels over the sea Please come down flight and for me It's about a stranger, abandoned and a heartbreaker, who sings to his lover, then freezes up and smokes off. Judy wrote it for J.D. Souther, a Texan who put her heart through a paper shredder. Rob's logic, I guess, was that he knew how Judy felt. He'd never be that guy. I want to ask Judy, do we have to fall in love with everyone? And if we do, how do we grow old? Sometimes I would like to be old with lots of lovers. I would like to have this wisdom, this body. Judy Sill, a beautiful name for a first album by Judy Sill, came out in October 1971 and features Christian mystic lyrics, Baroque pop, multiple overdubs, and piano. Fuck man, she's school for all of us, Souther, who wrote songs for the Eagles, told Rolling Stone. I found her, I saw her, I tell the magazines. As a writer, I listened first to Judy's lyrics, though later and for the first time, I loved how the multiple overdubs of her own voice, mirroring, braiding, climbing, show her growing confidence, or at least her desire to take space, to make it. If Judy could, then I could too. I could listen and stay. I think it will soon, so I sit here waiting for in a train. Her lyrics are shimmered, spacey, image-heavy. For example, Crayon Angels features God in a train, the astral plane, magic rings turning fingers green, dead mystic roses, and phony prophets. Guess reality is not as it seems, so I sit here hoping for truth and a ride. What hit me here was the idea that images, which need space to be like bodies do, can communicate, can connect with something, the church, punk shows, even if they don't agree with all of it. If Judy could cop language from church and put it in a non-church space, then both these spaces must exist. Time must be happening. Duality. Bodies can change. Listening to Bikini Kill taught me to carry knuckle rings, taught me to believe that if I let my body be a woman, then at some point I'd be attacked, like being caught in the rain. Listening to Judy Sill taught me that flux and love are real too. I still listen to both. 
In Indiana on the early internet, I found a video of Judy singing her song, The Kiss. She sits at a piano, her hair heavy and straight. Her face looks like a rodent's and her eyes look beyond. I wanted to sit on a hood in a parking lot and read our horoscopes together. Since she was dead, I researched her life. Judith Lynn Sill was born in October in Oakland, 1944. Her dad, Milford Bunn Sill, owned afar and imported exotic animals to act in movies. Both he and Judy's brother died in dramatic accidents before she was 10. Her mother, Anita, remarried. She married a man who helped animate Tom and Jerry. Judy learned to play piano when she was still a kid, and when she was 17, she married for just a year to Larry, who died taking the Kern River in a rubber raft while he was stoned. Around this time, Judy started robbing banks. The first time she was so nervous, she said, this is a fuck up, mother sticker. She never hurt anyone with a gun or fists, but was caught pretty quickly and hired a lawyer using her inheritance from her father's death. The lawyer won her extenuating circumstances, so Judy went to reform school instead of jail, where she learned to play religious music and the organ. I began to suspect that certain songs evoked certain emotions, she told Disc and Music Echo. I felt her. Certain songs I never danced to, ever. Once free, Judy found work in a saloon playing the piano. When they found out her age, they fired her, and then she took up bass. She married again, and her husband, Bob, took heroin, so Judy took heroin too. She stopped playing bass, almost died, was caught and arrested again, and once she was freed, Judy decided to use all the hungry monsters and become a great songwriter. This, to me, is the mark of new life, a new light on an old body. She told NME her three main influences were Pythagoras, Bach, and Ray Charles. She always wanted to harmonize with someone but couldn't find anyone, so she decided to do it with a piano instead, with her own voice, from her own body. If I could talk about religion, said Judy, I wouldn't need to write songs about it. This was new too, aiming for harmony. I knew Rip It Up and Start Again. I knew Chicks on Speed singing about girl monsters, Hedvig Schmidt's surgery, and Wynne Greenwood invented Nikki and Cola. I hadn't thought about refusing to cut. Later, I read Susan Stryker on Frankenstein and saw Hans Schurl's Dandy Dust and thought again about cutting, but anyway. Another important part of this story, as I read more and more about Judy, was realizing that my life wasn't hers. Our bodies are different. I was trying, am still trying, to figure out mine, and mine is not hers. She figured hers out as best she could. Judy wanted to be famous, and she talked about being famous in a way that would have been fine if she was a man. But she wasn't, so the newspaper said she was selfish. Judy Sill was the first album on David Geffen's Asylum label, just before debuts from Jackson Brown and the Eagles. Their successes soon dwarfed hers, financially speaking, but even so, she had the cover of Rolling Stone, though by then she was talking shit about Geffen. She was falling out of love with Souther. Or maybe she never fell out of love with him, I don't know. 
When I first met Geffen, I thought he was some kind of knight in shining armor, you know, Judy said. But I didn't understand the other things, the things that made him such a ruthless businessman. Love and money and bodies. When Asylum released Heart Food in 1973, it flopped too. After that, Judy went back and forth from Los Angeles to Mill Valley. She had a car accident and started using heroin again for the pain and selling sex to pay for it. A man she picked up at a restaurant on Melrose said they went back to Judy's place and there was a mural-sized portrait of Bella Lugosi, a gigantic ebony cross, and candles everywhere. He says he didn't realize how high she was right away, but of course they still fucked. Of course he still listened to her read him Alistair Crawley and mystic manuscripts. Here too are bodies and bright paint at the center. I don't know what happened because I wasn't there. I listened to Bikini Kill and I think I know. Soon, this guy said Judy turned into a serpentine cadaver, a huge gray reptile curling up on the comforter, and so he left. Which was weak, as Judy wasn't, isn't Medusa. They were just really high. This makes the body shimmer like a song can. When I first heard this story, I didn't know to wonder if Judy got off too. Judy Sill died in a trailer park when she was 35. The night I read that, I was alone in my apartment, which had ghosts and a pink tile bathroom. Maybe it still does. I like trailer parks because people I love live in them. I took Judy Sill and I hooked it up to my cheap drugstore speakers, which glitter, and I lay on the floor, one speaker face down on my chest. It was half a ritual, but I listened until I fell asleep. Then I woke up and made coffee and I drank it and I laced up my shoes and I left the apartment for work. My life felt a different bright, like I was living, walking through space after something happened. One star remains in the false darkness. Have you met my man on love? One truth survives death's silent darkness. Have you met my man on love? No sorrow is like yours, my friend. Though silence is your tomb, I take your. Mairead Case is a working writer and teacher. She wrote the novel See You in the Morning and the poetry chat book Tenderness, is a columnist at Entropy, and publishes widely on art, politics, music, and books. Mairead teaches full-time 10th grade English and part-time poetry and narrative at Naropa, the Denver Women's Correctional Facility, and the Institute of American Indian Arts. 
Moraitis worked for places like Pitchfork, Louder Than a Bomb, and the Poetry Foundation, and performed at places like the Whitney Biennial and the Museum of Contemporary Art Chicago. You can find more from her at moraidcase.com. That's M-A-I-R-E-A-D-C-A-S-E dot com. But you know where you can find that link? I'm not even going to tell you this time. And that's it for now. Denver Orbit is produced, edited, designed, hosted, and all that other stuff by me, Josh Madison, and I will see you in a couple of weeks. Why don't you hitch your horse up to your hitching post, have a set down, and listen to Denver Orbit. Denver Orbit tells stories around the campfire about, well, about whatever, really, but mostly cattle and horses. That's kind of what we know. Do 